Welcome to the Next Level American Dream podcast, brought to you by Thompson Multifamily Group. Your hosts, Abigail and Sean, will discuss how you can take your American dream to the next level through real estate investing, business practices, and personal development. Join us as we share our experiences as a father-daughter duo who are trying to accomplish their goal of financial freedom. We hope you learn more about how to define and achieve your American dream. Here's another episode of Next Level American Dream. Today on Next Level American Dream, Sean interviews Aaron Mall. Aaron is a mortgage banker out of Detroit specializing in commercial real estate. Throughout the episode, Sean and Aaron discuss the ins and outs when it comes to securing financing for your investments. For more information on Aaron, check out the description below. If you're interested in learning more about our sponsors and multifamily investing, visit thompsonmultifamilygroup.com. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for coming on the show. Welcome to Next Level American Dream. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Good. Uh, well, we're going to talk today about the debt side of multifamily. Uh, it's a little bit of a mysterious world, I think, for most people uh, that aren't in the business and that don't have a lot of experience with it. So hopefully we can get uh, some clarification from you on, on how that works. Let the people know kind of what your background is and what you're, what you're, you're doing presently. And, and so they'll, they'll know uh, kind of where you're coming from. Sure, sure. So my name's Aaron Mall. I'm a mortgage banker with Bercadia. Uh, and I'm based in Detroit, Michigan. Bercadia is a JV between Berkshire Hathaway and Jeffries. So we've got, you know, big, big teams behind us. It, it helps me, you know, be, be better at what, what I already do. And it's been, it's been good being there. I've been in Bercadia for a number of years now. Previously was a life co-lender. Worked for Lincoln Financial down on the Southeast and originated debt primarily in the West, but got some background as a lender on the Life Coast side, but enjoy my, my mortgage banking regime now placing a variety of debt. I work in basically all the food groups, but for obviously for the sake of this podcast and the majority of what I do, it is multifamily. So lender groups are, you know, for the most part, the GSEs, which is Fannie, Freddie and HUD collectively. And then we also work with life insurance companies, CMBS, debt funds for bridge products, and then, you know, banks and uh, credit unions from time to time. Okay, great. So you're using, you're already using acronyms. <laughs> I might have you clarify some of those for us too, as we sure. go through GSEs, what you're talking about, what's, what's. The, the government sponsored entity. So okay. I always say, I know you're a, a, a single family guy in a prior life. I always kind of equate it for the folks jumping into multifamily when they ask me, how do I get a Freddie Mac loan on my apartment community? It's the same thing if you go down to your local bank and get a home loan. You know, if you go to Bank of America or if you go to your local credit union, nine times out of 10, and people know this, they're going to sell that to Fannie Freddie, right? right? But they're going to service it. So you don't really know it gets bought by Fannie Freddie, but it gets bought. It's a government guarantee to that. The same thing happens in multifamily with an apartment loan, except there's a more finite group that are uh, originators for Fannie Freddie with multifamily. There's about 20 of us. Arcadia, you know, I'll stand on my soapbox a little bit. We, we, we are number one collectively. So this year, so far, we're number one with Freddie. We typically end up in the top three there. We're typically top three with Fannie. And we're usually number one or two with HUD. But if you add them all up on a total production level across all government-sponsored entities or GSEs, we tend to be number one. So I like that because it lets me be your banker a little bit more and not just a freight lender. If Fannie fits better on one deal or HUD fits better on the other deal, we not only can offer all of those different options, um, we can sell them adequately. So that's what I mean by the GSEs is uh, those, right. the Fannie, Freddie, and HUD for multifamily. Yeah, I just wanted to, you know, I don't know what the, the listeners know and what they don't know. So maybe sure. I, anytime I hear something like that, I'll, I'll just maybe have you clarify. <laughs> we live, we live in an acronym world and the alphabet. I know. So just stop me. I, I, sometimes I get going. So you got to yeah. slow down. I do the same thing. So. <laughs> well, if you can sort of map out some of the, the options that people have. So if, if I'm, if I'm getting into multifamily, which, which I am doing now, what are some of the debt options or debt structures that, that we're going to be working with or, or trying, trying to, to, to put in, into place? What are the various different types and, and, and how do they operate? 
Sure. You know, Bricadia is more of what I would call a permanent lending shop. So what I mean by that is properties that are stabilized. And if you as an investor or a borrower or a client of mine wants to hold a piece of property for some time, we call that permanent financing. So you buy a deal, it's 90 to 95% occupied. It's got good history. It's stable. And you just want to buy it and own it and cash flow it. And you want to own it for a number of years. We're really good at that. And that's called permanent loans. And we can give you anywhere between we can, give, we can give you a lot of options, but um, in most cases, it's between a 10 and I'm sorry, five and 15 year term fixed rate. You know, we tend to have a little longer amortization than banks. So if I just use a, a rough example, if you're trying to buy, let's say a $5 million multifamily asset, and you're talking to your bank, your bank's probably going to offer you a five or seven year fixed rate deal with recourse, maybe partial recourse and give you, you know, 25% down, 75% loan to value. Probably depending on the vintage of the asset and strength of the market, what have you, the 25 year amortization. We're a little different. The, the, the Fannie Freddie loans, HUD loans, life insurance loans, CMBS loans, those are for the most part non-recourse loans. So there's no personal guarantee, just on a limited uh, set of carve-outs, we call them, or even more well-known as the bad boy carve-outs. So what we mean by that is it's a non-recourse loan, but it, it would become recourse if you basically do something bad. And it's defined as you know fraud, misrepresentation, waste, willful misconduct, those sort of things. So as long as, I guess the punchline is if the market tanks, if we have another 2006 and the deal just doesn't work anymore, you can throw back the keys and walk away. They're not gonna come after your personal assets on a personal guarantee. That's kind of the, the deal. And then in addition to that, we tend to have a little better cash flow with a 30-year amortization and usually some interest-only periods if you want that as an investor. We can honestly cater whatever loan you're looking for. And what I always do with my clients before I try to just tell them what loan they should get, I just ask them what they want. And I, and I phrase it in a you know, variety of sets of questions. How big is the deal? How is the occupancy? How long do you want to own it? And then what's your goal? Are you cash on cash, yield driven? Are you IRR driven? Or do you want to just give this thing to your kids and pay it off as soon as possible? And based on the answers to those questions, we can effectively recommend a certain loan product, kind of even before we, were, we even underwrite the deal, you know, and kind of get into it from there. Yeah, a lot of times the debt the debt is going to be I don't know what you would how you would term it, but sort of a, a partner in in the cash flow of how the operations is going to go. You know, you can structure the debt so that it's good on the front end or, or long term or, or all those sorts of things, depending on what your objective is with the with the business plan and the business, right? Right. Um, so it's that's going to determine, I guess, like you said, the strategy that you're using will help you kind of decide what the best uh, debt to put against the, the property would be. Let's talk about, uh, so there was a lot there. I don't know, I want to dive into that exactly, but so the, the, what you're talking about is the, the, the things that you like about the products that you have are that you can get a longer uh, term on, the, on the, the note and then also you can get longer, longer amortization. So longer amortization is going to give you increased cash flow because you, you're able to extend those payments out sure. um, over a longer period. So it's a lower payment every month, that kind of thing. Let's talk about, so let's say I do find a property, like you said, it's a $5 million property. What is sort of the, the qualifiers to uh, get a property to work, I guess, or to, to qualify for uh, that debt obligation? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say we're looking for a certain set of qualifications to, to qualify for debt. We can put you with the lender based on the needs that you have. So I also do a lot of bridge financing deals that are not operated efficiently, you're buying a deal, it's, it's a good opportunity. Maybe, you know, this, the seller of the property isn't operating that property to its full potential, there was some crime or whatever, right? So it's 80% occupied and has some issues on the management. We see those a lot. So those would not be ready for what I would again refer to as a permanent loan. They may be ready for a bridge loan. Right. And we can offer non-recourse bridge debt with some of our, you know, debt funds that we work with and uh, even some of our banking partners. And basically we, we put you in a transitional debt instrument to 
give you some cash flow. A lot of times these loans are, are interest only. They are going to be at a little higher interest rate than a permanent loan. But again, it's offset by the interest only payment. And they're really for like three years or less. So you come in maybe a little higher on the fees, a little bit more costly, but you're, it's a higher risk for the lender because the deal is not well occupied or not ready for perm. But it allows you to you know, buy an asset that's not performing, put a fairly minimal amount of down payment down. So a lot of times those lenders will help fund your CapEx and your, your improvement dollars to get it up and operating to where it needs to be. And the whole point is why they call it a bridge loan is it's bridging you to either a sale or a refinance. And I have a lot of clients that have come to me on a, with a deal that isn't doing so hot and they want to do a bridge loan. We'll do a bridge loan at maybe 75% LTC loan to cost. So they'll fund 75% of your purchase. And they'll fund 75% of your, your CapEx dollars or your, your dollars that you put into the property to improve it. And then at the end of that, we want to try to basically cash you out. And so if you do two years and you do a nice job and you lease it up to full occupancy and grow the rents and grow the value of that deal, you know, we have a lot of examples where we've basically returned all of the borrower's equity and put a loan on it with a Fannie Freddie or a CMBS or something like that in that like second or third year that's above what they paid for it. So at that point, your, your return is essentially infinite because you've returned all of your equity. Yeah, that's, so that's a good, that's a good um, a strategy. So uh, if you're buying something that needs a little bit of work or that's, uh, that's poorly managed, you're trying to recover that property back to its you know, original state where it's, it's cash flowing nicely and operating nicely. And that bridge kind of gets you through that whole process where you get the rehab done, you get the, the tenant stabilized, you get the cash flow stabilized. And that gives you that two to three years to do those things. And then you can put your permanent debt against it and just carry it into the future. Do those come, is that, is that uh, when you do that sort of thing on the, on the, the bridge, when you put the bridge in place, it's a three-year bridge. Do you already have your, your permanent funding sort of as a component of that? Or is that something that is redone at, at, the, at year three? Or is it, is it something that at year three, we're just going to convert it? Sure. No, that's a fair question. We, the permanent financing is not lined up. But no. we, myself, as your banker and the lenders that I would work with, all very much focus on Am I, am I going to be able to get taken out of this loan? So if I'm the bridge lender and I'm giving you this 75% loan to cost, based on your business plan, based on your budget and what you're going to be putting into the deal, we're going to look at that pretty closely and make sure in that year two, year three, you've got enough you know, NOI, realistic value lift, that you're, you're penciling a, a fairly conservative perm loan takeout to cover the outstanding bridge debt. So we call that the exit analysis. And there in the bridge, it's a big focus on exit. We, we don't want to put somebody up for failure where we say, hey, we'll give you 75% LT, LTC. You do your business plan, but your business plan never out, you know, outlaid or you know, outlined enough NOI growth to ever get you out of that loan. We don't want to put you in a loan that you're, you have no light at the end of the tunnel. And trust me, the lenders definitely focus on that as well. And, and they tend to add a little bit of a buffer to make sure you're getting adequate financing on the back end. Yeah, exactly. You would want to go into a business plan on, a, on your, your, your property that at year three, you, if you hit your marks, you know that you can kind of qualify or get the, the property's going to qualify for some sort of permanent funding that's going to, again, allow you to, to cash flow the property and be successful in year four, five, six in future, right? Correct. So you, you, you would want to do that sort of analysis on the front end, I, I guess, to, to make sure that that's going to happen. What are some of the other, so we talked about, I guess we talked about perm and then bridge. Is, is there some other uh, type of uh, lending that, that you want to make sure people are aware of? I mean, just those are the two primaries, main, main components. And there's a lot of different layers within those. You know, again, if it's, if you're into the perm space, there's a one phrase in the multifamily world is, is 90 for 90. Do you have 90% occupancy for 90 days? I will tell you that that, is not a hard fast rule. There really is no hard fast rule. It's it's a full deal. It's a full analysis. If the deal's eighty five percent occupied, they're trending the right way, or had a reasonable explanation as to why it dipped for a month or two, and the sponsorship strong and the market strong, then you know maybe we can get that through. But yeah, to go into perm with the the, the Fannie Freddie and, and HUDs of the world, it's typically a ninety percent target on occupancy for ninety days. That's how we underwrite deals on an income standpoint. We really focus on what we call the trailing three or the T3 collections. So we want to 
we kind of want a really nice snapshot in that 90 days. I, I, I'll give you an example. I had a, a borrower of mine that actually heard me on another podcast and reached out to me and said, I got this deal in Columbus and I paid, it was a small deal. I think he paid like a million bucks for it or maybe a million one or nah, maybe a million five for this one. And he wanted to get a loan as close to a million five as he possibly could. And he sent me his financial statements. He he bought the deal with the bank loan. It was uh, it was not in good shape. It required a gut renovation essentially, and he did a great job. He fixed it up really nice. And he called me after his improvements were done, but the deal still wasn't cash flowing. He was still growing rent. He was still getting it to that kind of peak where he thought it was going to be or that plateau. And I told him, I said, if if you're looking for this million five loan, you're not there yet. This is where you need to be on income. So send me a T12 or a trailing 12 statement that shows me the last three months of this income. And he did it. And like six months later, he called me back. He said, hey, I, here's my T3. It's right where you want it to be. We looked at it. We put it under app of Freddie Mac and we closed that deal at his goal. And it was great. It was a great story because we kind of looked at it early for him and said, you know, I, I hear your goal this is where you need to get to. Do you think you can do that? He said, I can get there. It's going to take me a few months. It took him six months and we closed them shortly thereafter. Yeah, that's awesome. So he, he knew where he was kind of headed and, and was able to get there. And so that allowed him to, to put in the place, the, the funding that's going to carry him into the future. Uh, that's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, in that case, the property itself is the qualifier for, for the debt, right? Uh, the, the ownership is absolutely part of the equation in the, in the borrower strength. Again, it's, it's a full equation. The deal does need to underwrite adequately. It needs to, it needs to essentially stand alone for non-recourse debt. That's one of the things I always tell my clients. Right. If this deal is so underwater, if it's 50% occupied with a burned down building and like it's not even close to cash flow, you probably need a, a recourse bank loan. Just take it down with a personal guarantee because it needs some sort of credit enhancement beyond the real estate, it needs you as a borrower and your global cash flow to make the lender comfortable, right? But if it's a transitional asset that has some merit to it and some standalone strength, but it's not quite to where it needs to be for perm, then those are those non-recourse bridge loans and we, that we place. Um, but to answer your question, even on the easiest deal, um, a 50% loan to value perm, the borrower is always going to be part of that equation. And it just helps us obviously get the deal through credit, get it signed up, get it closed. And a lot of times the stronger the borrower, the better terms that they're able to, to receive. My lenders are very relationship driven, every one of them. And Fannie, Freddie, you probably lead the pack in relationship. The more you do with those two lenders, the better treatment you're going to get and the better, you know, the, the easier it's going to be to work with them. So let's say I have a property that's, that's, that you like or that's working what would what would someone like me need to have in place to to secure let's let's use the five million dollar project example that you had earlier so the property's working at that and it looks like it looks like debt what what do i need as the sponsor i guess to to kind of uh, qualify as well sure uh basic set of qualifications um there is a net worth and liquidity requirement $5 million, uh, a unique example because it's the small balance loans. It's S- SBL, we call them, Fannie Freddie SBL. And that's any, actually Freddie emailed out today that it's now seven and a half million or less on the loan is, is considered an SBL loan. So for that, they want you to have a net worth of 100% of your loan amount. So if we do like a $3 million loan on that $5 million property or whatever that ends up being, is a $3 million loan, be $3 million net worth, and it, and the SBLs, we want us like 10 months of debt service liquid. When you get to the larger loans, it's 10%. So if you do a $25 million loan, you need 10% of that, $2.5 million liquid to qualify. Now that can be clubbed. It doesn't need to be just you. So a lot of folks, especially on those larger deals, will have a few, you know, managing member GPs that are controlled, that are signing on the carve-outs that are really our borrowers. And they can, we can club that. So if you have three folks and we're looking for a, a $2 million liquid for a large loan, we can add all three of those borrowers up to, to hit that number. But can you, you can do that on the, on the SBL loans as well, you said? 
Yeah, you can. Yeah. So if I'm trying to get a five, I've got a $5 million property. Uh, we're looking at a three, three million, roughly $3 million loan on that. I can bring three guys together that are worth a million dollars a piece that have, what is it? $300,000 would be the liquid requirement there. It's, it ends up and the SBLs instead of a 10%, it's, it's 10 months of debt service amortizing. So 10 months of your mortgage payments amortizing. So that's, that's not going to be, that's not going to be, that, that would come out to probably, that's still probably about 10% really. It ends, it depends on the size of the deal, but usually it's a touch more than 10%. Yeah. So maybe 15%. Right. But if you have, let's say you have uh, $3 million, you have three guys, each of them worth a million bucks. Uh, you got about $450,000 uh, in liquid assets. Uh, then you're going to be able to, and, and the property's working. That's, that's a formula for success in, in securing the debt. Yeah, there's, you know, credit score, but that, I mean, rare, usually the people, right, that are buying $5 million deals don't have 500 credit scores, so it rarely comes into play. There is, you know, there is a minimum. I honestly couldn't tell you what it was. I think it's like a 650 or there is a, we do pull credit, yeah. but it, it is just a, it's a file filler. I mean, we really are looking for good real estate. We want good clients that we know have, you know, it's, it's absolutely a benefit if you already have experience. And we can point that, hey, I've got five assets. They're all doing well. Here's my REO schedule. It shows that they're all cash flowing. It shows the, the global DCR, the global LTV. You know, I know what I'm doing. And if you don't, I would highly, highly recommend if it's your first deal to club up with somebody that has some experience so you can benefit from them bring them on the carve out so that, yeah, you're probably going to have to give up some of that GP, right? And some of that promote, but it's a way in. And, uh, and I would also highly advise to use a third party management company and just go with the big one, go with the one that has 15,000 units because all it's going to do is help you in the, in the, the narrative with the large national lenders, the national lenders that I deal with want larger property management, not boutique. Right. Yeah. So if you're just getting started, it's almost uh, a necessity to have someone on board your team that has the experience and has, you know, net worth and liquidity, of course, but the experience goes a long way as well. And in, in, in owning additional assets that they've kind of been successful with. Uh, I think that's a, that's a key component that in securing the debt that, that you're going to need to have. And I was kidding with you earlier. I, I, I said, you know, you can't buy an apartment unless you've already bought an apartment almost. You know? <laughs> We're and, not that bad. We're not HUD. HUD. HUD is a whole different podcast. That that is a little bit tougher surface to crack. But yeah, that's we we can get. We'll get into that one later. That one's not for everybody. Yeah, but this is definitely a team sport for sure. You know, I, I have a, a bunch of people around me that that are kind of supporting me and helping me get through these things. And so, you know, in in exploring these things, it's good to have those people on on board just to help you through those things. But when it comes to crunch time to get the debt secured, you're gonna it's, it's really gonna be a requirement to kind of have people in your space that, that have experience as well as all those other uh, financial cri uh, criteria met as well. So. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I think you need a team, you need a good lawyer, a good CPA, a good manager and a good banker. You know, the, the banker should not, I keep, I, I was just on a podcast and I was, I was joking with him because he was saying, Aaron's broker. I said, Oh, come on. I'm better than that. I said, I know a broker's a little bit of a dirty and I am a broker when it comes to, you know, a variety of different lenders, but really I want to be your banker. You know, I want to listen to what you have to say and solve your problems. And if, if I'm a developer, I think it's very important to have a good trusted banker that you can take deals to and say, what do we do? You know, and, and, and listen to that advisement because if a banker knows what they're doing, they should be able to fill in those gaps for you. Well, let's talk about, so we've kind of, we've kind of uh, talked about the different, a couple different types of debt. You've got the perm, the, the bridge, the interest only funding. We've talked about kind of some of the qualifications that the, that you look for in setting somebody up with debt. So you've got a good property, a net worth requirements and liquidity requirements and credit score requirements and things like that. Mm -hmm. So what is the process? So let's say I have those things kind of already built or in place for me. I've found my property. Uh, now I've got to, I've got to call you and say, Hey, what, what, what's the next steps? Would someone contact you and then, and then provide you uh, all this documentation? What, what, how, did the, how would I go through securing all that stuff? Sure. Another fair question. We, we size deals all the time. So Mercadia also happens to have a very large brokerage shop, an investment sales shop. 
we are only chartered in multifamily on the investment sales side. So I can write mortgages and I do on like retail properties, office properties, self-storage, kind of everything. But I, I'm more of a multifamily expert. Our investment sales team, which is all over the country, are only for multifamily. We, have a, we also have a hospitality group out of D.C. that does some hotel brokerage. But we're really a multi-shop. And uh, so with that, we have listings that we're always sizing. We have a lot of folks looking at those listings. So we need to be in the know as far as all right, what, what are these indicative terms or how is this loan going to work for a variety of different loan executions. And so to answer your question, though, in addition to that, I have borrowers that are constantly looking at acquisition opportunities or refinance opportunities. I got a loan coming up in two years. My prepay is pretty minimal. Interest rates are silly right now, which they are. Should I refinance? Well, if you have that deal or you have an acquisition, send me the T12, the rent roll, and if it's listed, send me the offering memorandum so I can just get some of my head wrapped around the details of the property. That's a bare bone minimum. That gets us started. If it's a transitional deal that needs a bridge, if it's a deal that uh, is an acquisition and has some maybe some color to the story or something like that, then I'm probably going to want to see a budget to see how you're going to finagle that and transition it sort of thing. But at, at a minimum, uh, a rent roll in a T12, and we can really get started. And from there, we're able to dive in, probably ask a few questions. Hey, R&M is up in these months. Is this CapEx, should we pull that out? Where are you budgeting on insurance? The guy that's selling it seems to be running a pretty fat insurance bill. You know, so we try to perfect our NOI. And then once we get our NOI perfected, we can start to ask those questions. Are you looking for a seven-year deal? What's your term? What's your LTV bogey? All of those things. And then once we get all that answered, we can, we can provide you our terms that we see in the market. From there, if you win the deal or if you uh, want to move forward with refinance, we put together our, our official submission to the market. So if you tell me, hey, I want a, I want a 75 LTV, 10-year deal, five years of IO, and you know, on a refi, and we decide that's a Fannie Freddie execution, we would essentially submit to Fannie Freddie at that time and firm up our loan quotes. Whenever we do that with Fannie Freddie or life insurance companies or CMBS, whoever going to bridge, we make sure our lenders are pretty fully vetted. So, you know, I also work with banks and I know a lot of the, the clients that are early on in the process are used to the banking experience we're not going to be as quick to issue a term sheet because we really bet that. And so we're doing a lot of due diligence to get you to a point where when we issue a quote, we're basically ready to issue an application, take your deposit and start the approval process in order third party reports. So I, I don't, I don't like to put clients into positions where they're banking on me to perform on the debt based on the terms I provided them. And they're going under contract to buy something. And then I turn around and say, oh, you know what? Those indicative terms I provided are way off. We're way less dollars. We're way higher interest rate. We don't do it that way. So if, if, we, if you like what we're kind of selling on an indicative basis and you want to try to move forward, we fully bet that and have uh, deliverable terms. So the process really is uh, contact you, I guess, and then start the process of giving you the information on the deal that, 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 we're, that I'm looking at or whoever's looking at it so that you can underwrite it a little bit and, and, and figure out kind of where it fits uh, in the debt side. And you, you kind of really tailor everything for my needs and the requirements of the property. Uh, it sounds like it's kind of a one-on-one -on -one process that you go through with, with whoever's bringing you the deal to, to craft it so that it's, it's gonna be optimal for the property that, that the property needs based on the business plan and then the, the needs of the, the, the borrower and then what will fit with, with the lenders. Is that, so it's, it's really kind of a, it sounds like it's kind of a, a conversation that is going to go on for a while that you get, that you go back and forth to sort of sort this out, right? It depends. I mean, if your experience level is some, something where you already know what you want, I've, there's a lot of people out there that they've done 10 deals. So if they see one, they already know it's going to be a Fannie or Freddie execution. Maybe they've already done, eight Freddie loans and two Fannie loans, and they like working with Freddie Mac better than Fannie. They pretty much know it's gonna be a Freddie execution. So those conversations are pretty limited. It's, hey, got another deal. Here's the T12, here's the rent roll. This is where it's located. What can I expect? 
oh, well, I already know you want a 10-year deal because we've done eight 10-year loans for you already. Right, yeah. this, is, this is the term. But if it's someone new, then we absolutely want to start asking those questions because we don't want to be presumptuous that you want a 10-year deal. You may want a seven-year floater because you want you know, optimal prepaid flexibility. People that are like, I only want to own this for three years. I don't want to be stuck with a large yield maintenance or pre, you know, prepay. Then we, we can talk to them about like a floating rate. Yeah, but it's a little bit different than like a, so a single family, you just, it's an application and an appraisal and you've got your loan pretty much, you know? <laughs> so it's, right. it's not, too, it's not too terribly complicated. There is a lot of document presentation and things like that, but they're not, they're not as in-depthly looking at my business plan, right? So they're not looking at what's it renting for? What's my rehab cost? You know, they do that on a little bit, but I think it sounds like you work more closely with uh, someone to kind of hash out the strategy that's going to be taken forth with the, with the operation of the business and, and, and tailor something to kind of work with that, that business plan as well. hundred percent. Yeah. We, we are not single family. We can offer a lot of different models. Yeah. And it's not, it sounds more personal. So it's not a, do you want a 15 or a 30 year? It's, yeah. you know, there's, there's a lot to it. Right. So we want right. to make sure we're, we're hitting the, the targets. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, it sounds like someone just would need to contact you and sort of go through that process with you and, uh, and, and get everything lined up and sorted out uh, or whoever they're using, I guess it doesn't, it doesn't have to be Aramal, but uh, you know, but the, it's, it's, it seems like it's going to be a, a, a one-on-one conversation with your, with your a banker or, or lender and, and, or broker and yep. kind of work through that stuff to find the most optimal uh, next step, I guess. So. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, it's, it's a, we're kind of in, in an interesting time right now with COVID and, and all that's going on with that. Can you talk about how that's affecting the lending environment? And then maybe we'll talk about interest rates as well. So talk about, first of all, how COVID is kind of affecting everybody's uh, lending. Sure, sure. Well, I will tell you before COVID, the market was very good. Multifamily has been kind of the gift that keeps on giving for a number of years. It's outperformed the variety of different assets. It's outperformed essentially every asset class on a national scale. We were seeing some construction coming into certain markets and oversaturation, but ultimately multifamily was good. When COVID hit, uh, it, it definitely made everybody rattled a little bit. Now, and, and I'll say, if we start from, you know, the all the lenders that we work with and the major groups of those lenders, we saw a lot of them exit the space and rather quickly. Banks started working on PPP loans to save their existing clients and manage their portfolios. So we saw banks essentially sideline immediately. We saw CMBS completely blow up and stop lending. Uh, the reason for that was a lack of liquidity in the bond market and the corporate bonds blew out to such, an ex- such a level that it made no sense for people to buy commercial real estate bonds, they just bought corporate bonds. So we saw CMBS sideline. We saw debt funds and all the bridge lenders essentially stop lending. They were getting margin calls and the warehouse lenders were shutting down. So it kind of ties into the banks. And then Lifeco's also took a pause. They were one of the first ones to come back, but they have now come back. But I would say in the first 30 to 60 days, there was, there was not a whole lot of activity. The only exception to all that is the GSEs. Fannie, Freddie, and HUD kept on rolling. And what we saw in the beginning days was them trying to understand how to structure around COVID and trying to understand how is this potential unemployment, how is the shelter in place going to affect multifamily collections. And they were pretty rattled. I mean, there were some initial reports coming out from the FHFA, the national regulator, right? Like basically from Congress that, you know, I think this is back in like March or April. By May 1, apartment collections were going to be 75 cents of the dollar. And by June 1, they were going to be 50 cents of the dollar. It was like Armageddon. It was going to be bad. And we didn't see it. Luckily, you know. And so the, the, the space has continued to be fine on a collection standpoint. And NMHC and some of these big firms are putting out huge market studies to track our renters still paying, how our borrowers doing, sorting of a lot of defaults, you know, how are just how's the market? And the market held pretty darn well. But Fannie Freddie HUD did institute some structure to their loans that still remain today. While they've remained open for business and while they have 
maybe tweak the credit box a little bit, been a little bit more selective on borrower and, uh, you know, maybe not going to full leverage, especially in the early days. They, they instituted a, a COVID reserve and that's still around. So it's, it's evolved a little bit and it's gotten a little bit more borrower friendly. But in the beginning, they basically said, hey, you have to escrow 12 months. So a full one year of debt service payments and taxes, insurance, and replacement reserves escrows. And everybody kind of went, are you kidding me? And then, but then they saw where the interest rates were going. You know, the Fed kept dropping the, the federal fund rate. LIBOR basically went to zero. The Fed funds rate went to zero. The 10-year treasury dropped like a rock. And the rates just kept getting lower and lower and lower. And then really the, the, the cherry on top was the federal government backed only government-sponsored real estate bonds, which is Fannie, Freddie, HUD. So all of the liquidity in the bond market pushed to Fannie, Freddie, HUD, driving down the rates even more. And so borrowers got over pretty quick because rates today have continued to remain very low. I would say pre-COVID, we were, you know, right before the shutdown, 350 was like, congratulations, you've got a fantastic interest rate. And today it's probably 250 for a fantastic interest rate. I think all, all day for a 10-year note, full leverage, you know, depending on a variety of different things, you're in between 275 to 3.15, again, depending on a lot. But that is significantly inside of where rates were before. When you're talking about a 5 to 10 or 20 or $50 million mortgage, every single basis point counts in a big way. Yeah. So those investor yields went through the roof and they, they got over that COVID reserve pretty quick. So today, you know, we still do see for full leverage yields, the 75, uh, 75 LTV, you know, depending on DCR, Freddie's going to be between six and nine months of reserves. Fannie's probably going to be, you know, nine, but the rates are, are fine. And, and, and the borrower does get those reserves back as long as they add it with the cash flow post loan closing. And if they don't, you know, they, they can per perhaps use those towards debt service if, you know, if there's a significant issue and, and the deal doesn't cash flow. But so we are still seeing COVID reserves where we're seeing interest rates, you know, at or below 3% for full leverage. HUD is in the low twos. It's, it's a good time to be a borrower as far as interest rates are concerned, no doubt. Yeah, no, the interest rates are crazy. Mm -hmm. you know, it, it just seems like it's unheard of. It's, it's, it's like free money almost, if, you know, compared to where we were, you know, a few years ago for sure. Right. So they, so the 12 month reserve, is that still, is that still in place? Or I thought they backed it. Didn't, didn't they back it up to like six months or is it still 12 months? Depends. Freddie's got a bogey on uh, DCR of a 140. So if you're at a 140 DCR and full leverage 75 LTV, that can go to six. If it's below a 140 and 75 LTV, it's going to be nine. Fannie's going to be nine. Or you can go lower leverage. And if you go to 65% LTV or even 55% LTV, those reserves will just get less and less. Freddie, if you're at 60 LTV and above a 140 or 145 DCR, there is no reserve. And Fannie, if you go to 55 LTV, there is no reserve. So you can offset that with leverage. Um, most folks that I deal with, especially in the middle market space, want every loan dollar they can get to maximize their return. In that, in those cases, you're looking at six to nine months of COVID reserves. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna max your LTV and then just put the reserves in because the reserves the re reserves will get kicked back after was it twelve months of successful debt payments? It's uh, it's it's tied to the amount of the reserve. So if it's nine months after nine months, you can you can cash flow adequately and get those dollars back. Yeah, so you just have to you just have to operate your business plan successfully for nine months. And then, and then all that can, can come back to you. It would, it would yeah. make sense to drop your LTV. It's kind, of an, it's kind of an IOU. We've tried to wrap our mind around it in a, in a multitude of ways where it's a lot easier on a refinance because a lot of times you're going to pull equity out and refi anyways. So right. it's like, well, if you're going to pull $2 million out of this property and we have to hold back 600 k you get a million four now, you get 600 k later. You're just deferring your cash out. Right. On an acquisition, it's a little more tricky. So we've we've tried to look at you know offsetting cash on cash um, yields 
and how much that affects the deal, you're going to have to raise additional equity for that maybe 12 months or whatever the reserve period is that you don't get it back. So there's a gap in equity raised, but then you get it back after the reserve is replenished back to you. So we've, we've looked at different Argus runs and what have you to see what the yields and how that, how that changes things. There are so many different ways to look at it. In, in the models I've ran, it's a fairly de minimis offset of cash and cash yield, but I'm not the borrower and I'm not the guy that has to raise additional equity dollars. I understand that that can be challenging. And so it's been more of a, you know, an uphill battle on the acquisitions than on the refis. Yeah, and I think it also depends on your strategy. So if you're looking long-term, if it's if this is a 20-year property, you know, that, those, that six months or nine months is not going to be a very big deal. Uh, but if it's, you know, if you're trying to flip this in three to five, it's going to be more of a concern, I guess, because you want to you get action on the property right away and then not having that cash in your, in your business plan is going to be a, a hindrance. So mm-hmm. I also want to mention too, DCR, uh, DSCR and DCR is your debt service coverage ratio or debt coverage ratio. A lot of people don't don't know the, the term. We've used it a lot in this conversation, but <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if I mentioned that if we mentioned that earlier on what it, what that was or not. But I wanted to throw that acronym explanation out there. I, so I promise Google will answer all your questions. Yeah, Google. Google yeah, <laughs> when it exactly. comes to yeah, I've so, certainly done. I've certainly done the Google searches. Are you, so uh, let's talk again about COVID. I, was, I had a couple of questions uh, based on what you were talking about. So, uh, do you see people? Uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a few deadlines now. A lot of the corporate Layoffs are occurring, you know, September 15th and October 1st. A lot of the larger corporations are kind of holding off on layoffs and things like that until those time periods. Is anybody worried about that time period for unemployment being a problem? Yeah, there's, there's, yes, there's a lot of economists, especially in the lend, in the, in, within the lenders. Percadia has some folks, but within the lenders, um, they all kind of have economists that they either lean on or have in the house. And it's, it's been an open conversation from day one. Like I said, early on, NMAC and, and various uh, economists came out and said, we think you're going to lose 25% of your income next month. And the month after that, you're going to go to 50%. But it didn't happen. But of course, the open conversation is now election, is the second wave perhaps of COVID, is colleges going back and schools going back. And of course, unemployment with the incentives running out and also potential layoffs, job reports, annual earning reports, quarterly earning reports from various retail companies. There's, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. And I don't have a crystal ball. All, all I know is we were very pleasantly surprised with what happened in the early days because it was a full shelter in place for a lot of folks, right. uh, myself included in Michigan. And the collections held, I think, to about 90 to 95% for basically the entire shutdown. So... But you're seeing, so even in, in spite of kind of the, the unknowns or the sort of that volatility of, of what's going on in, in uh, the, the economy, you, you're seeing the lenders are still sort of positive about, about giving out loans and, and, and participating still? Yeah, we, yes. Life insurance, it's, it's an open conversation, no doubt. But yeah, yeah, life yeah. insurance companies are back. They like multifamily. They don't like retail office and hotels, but they'll do grocery anchored retail. So to stick in the, in the vein of multifamily, clearly for this podcast, the life insurance companies like multi, they want more multifamily loans right now. I would say their interest rates are basically back to where they were pre COVID. CMBS is back almost to where it was pre COVID. There's maybe a little tighter credit box there. They would do more multi, but the thing is the Fannie Freddie and and HUD lenders in, in the industry right now, have had such a benefit of their government guarantee in liquidity in the bond market that their interest rates are far superior to even a lot of life goes. And so they can get higher leverage and cheaper rates. It's hard to compete with that. So the the, the GSEs have been rocking and rolling. They're going to have good years. They have allocated funds from Congress every year or appropriations. And they want, they're very focused on those. So they, they can only lend a certain amount every year and they want to try to get as close to that, you know, goal line as possible. They can't exceed it, but they also don't want to be well, you know, in front of it. So they've maintained a good, a good open book of business. Again, Bercadia and my team and my, and my colleagues across the country have been tremendously busy 
and it's been Fannie, Freddie, and HUD show. We, we sit, I think we're still number one with Freddie year to date. I think we're number three with Fannie, and we're number one with HUD. I, I don't quote me on that, but, you know, ultimately, we're definitely seeing um, a lot of business get done with, in, within the multifamily space, both on acquisition and refi. And I'll also say to my investment sales colleagues, that shut down in a big way where investors didn't want to sell because they didn't think the properties could be worth as much as they were pre-COVID and right. would a buyer even buy it and what was going to happen. Right. And then buyers didn't want to buy because they also didn't know the uncertainty that has come back in a huge way. Our investment sales teams are actively listing deals every day, new deals. We're putting deals under contract. I had a personal pipeline that went on a big pause on my acquisitions for the first 30 days. And I kind of, I kind of figured some were going to come back, not all of them. And I would say, I think pretty much all of them have come back and we've closed close to all of them already. So, and, and I'll also say at no discount, we, we haven't seen any discounts in my experience. I'm sure there's been a little bit across the market, but the, we had a lot of investors saying, find me the deal that, you know, was pre-COVID on and find me at a 20% discount. It's not there in multifamily. If you're actively looking to buy, in my experience and what I'm hearing in the market is those cap rates and those values have held and it's buoyed by the low interest rate. I think people are getting over the perceived risk of COVID by having a sub 3% interest rate. They can kind of just wrap their mind around that and make some sense of those returns. Right. Yeah. And so just based on the strength of multifamily in, in the you know, the larger economy, that gives everybody sort of, I guess, a positive, positive outlook for, for that specific sector. I, you know, I know industrials, industrial and multifamily are kind of the two, the two golden children of the, the commercial real estate space right now. They're, they're outperforming everything. So I guess that just, just because it's multifamily, the lenders are more inclined to, to get involved in it because of the strength that it's had pre-COVID and during throughout COVID and, and what it, the future looks like too, I guess. So, yep. so it's, it's, it's mostly because, um, not necessarily because of the economy they're, they're watching those sort of things, but they, but they're, they like multifamily just because of its performance uh, and they're, they're inclined to lend in those spaces. So it, I think that's yeah. what you're saying, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Aaron, let's, uh, I always talk about, I know you and I talked about technical stuff today, but I, you know, uh, normally I'll talk to people about uh, kind of their, pro their path in life and stuff. And we talk about the American dream here. The, the, the name of the podcast is next level American dream. And I always ask everybody, you know, kind of what is your American dream and what are, what are one or two things that you've kind of done in your life that uh, allowed you to take it to the next level? Oh man. <laughs> I don't know. I know that's a big question. <laughs> you know, I, I came from a small town of suburban Detroit, no real estate experience. My family, my dad bought a couple, you know, a few pieces of vacant land over the years and did okay with that. And it was the first one on my mom's side to go to college. So humble beginnings and I'm kind of proud of that. And I just, and I also graduated from college in 09 with a real estate degree in Michigan. So, you know, awesome timing. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I started, started kind of ground up, started as a teller uh, at, a, at a little credit union and quickly became, you know, a loan officer doing auto loans over the phone and doing home equities line of credit and some funky stuff like that and credit cards. And then I always wanted to get into commercial. Uh, that's what I went to school for, but it just was, it was bad timing in, in 09. You know, I was applying with 50 year olds as a 22 year old. There was no way I was going to get those jobs. Right. So I, I took this job at this bank, did a variety of things, sold foreclosures, sold single family homes for them. And, uh, but just kind of kept my eye on it and wanted, I knew what I wanted to get into. I wanted to get into big loans, big real estate loans. And it took me a lot of job titles. Right. And it took me a lot of time to just kind of maneuver my way around and within the bank. And then I took a job with the SBA, did SBA loans. And I was, you know, literally financing like car washes and restaurants. And it was awesome. It was really rewarding work, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I took a flyer and I, I took a job and a pay cut and moved down to North Carolina and to work for this life insurance company. And I, I'll be totally honest with you. I had no idea life insurance companies even did mortgages, like big real estate mortgages. Right. And I went down and I knew I was hooked. And from that moment, 
I was in. I liked what I, I love what I do. I don't work. I, I love what I do. And I've been eating and breathing real estate ever since. I love the finance side. I like to understand the ownership side. I commend you guys. I, I love how that stuff works, but I'm a debt guy. And I love, I love helping people out and structuring their deals this way. So, you know, I did the, I did the life go thing for a number of years, had a couple babies, one in the Southeast and one on the way and just moved back home to Michigan. And I guess I couldn't get enough of that year round golf. I had to move back to the Arctic tundra up here in the, in the North, but yeah. it's been great. I, I love, I love Bricadia. It's a great company. They let me be me. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome. So I don't, I, I guess I, that's, that's kind of how I got here. And it's been my American dream is finding something that I really, really enjoy. I knew I couldn't have it right away because the, the recession and kind of when I graduated, where I was and that sort of thing and what I knew and who I knew. But I just kept my eye on the ball. It took me a number of years to get there and, and I finally made it. And here I am. You're there now. Yeah. And in a way, I, I was, as I was listening to you talk, in a way, you are uh, instrumental in helping other people achieve their American dreams, too. So you know, for me, my, my dream is to, to own, you know, commercial apartment buildings and, and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and without you, that, it wouldn't be possible for me to do what I want to do. Right. So it's you're great. actually, you're yeah. actually helping people fulfill their American dreams as well. Yep. I enjoy it. Yeah. That's good. Well, if you don't mind, if someone were trying to, trying to do this sort of thing and they needed someone to talk to you about getting debt put into place or lending, how would they, how would they get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, Phone number, we're all working from home. So phone number is 231-360-1840. And again, my name's Aaron Mall. So email is uh, A-A-R-O-N dot M-O-L-L. And that's apricadia.com. Okay, great. Yeah, so if someone has a loan that they need, they should contact mm-hmm. you and, and you can help them, help them through that process. Yep. If you're, you know, if you're like me, you're just going to just Google my name. I'll come right up. Aaron Mall and I've got a page. So feel free, to re- feel free to reach out. I work with folks like yourself for sure that are getting in the space. have had really fun success stories like that, like that example in Columbus where again, that was his first deal he ever bought. And, uh, and then I also work with large in, in institutional pension funds and what have you. So everything in between, but absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thanks. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show, Aaron. It's, it, this, this is such a thing that's, it's kind of a mysterious thing about, you know, buying real estate, you know, securing debts. And there's so many layers and there's so many variations and there's so many technical details in it. And it, it can get really kind of complex. And we really just kind of scratched the surface. I mean, you did a really good job of kind of giving some details there. And I appreciate that. But it's, there's, there's a lot to know. So having someone that, that knows what they're doing that can kind of walk you through these things as you're trying to buy properties, I think it's going to be critical. So I, I hopefully uh, people will reach out to you when they need you and, and get that taken care of it. You know, they can count on someone like you to, to, to help them through the process. That's invaluable. So I appreciate you coming on and, and sort of sharing some of that with everybody. So they, at least they have a little bit of knowledge moving forward. So. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure yeah, to be here. Well, uh, and we'll hopefully we'll have you back on to talk about some other stuff. Once I get, once, I, once we kind of get some deals going through, you know, we'll talk about some success stories and things like that too. So. I love it. Looking forward to it. We'll, we'll get our first one closed and we can do the case study. Yeah, do a case study. Exactly. That's <laughs> like a good one. That'd be a good one. All righty. Awesome. Well, thanks again. appreciate you coming on. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Next Level American Dream. If you would like to learn more about what we talked about today, want to contact the team directly, or are interested in passively investing and being a part of our deal room, head over to our website at www.thompsonmultifamilygroup.com. Before you go, please leave a review. Your comments help us create more episodes for you to enjoy.